The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Welcome to Talk is Jericho, the pot of thunder and rock and roll, and we are changing it up today. I've got Top Chef Season 10 winner Kristen Kish here on the show. You guys probably recognize her from her other TV gig, Fast Foodies on True TV. That's how I met her. I filmed an episode of Fast Foodies, and you can check it out tomorrow night, Tuesday, February 3rd at 10 uh, Eastern, 9 Central on True TV. If you haven't seen Fast Foodies, uh, give it a try with me. You'll love it. A different kind of cooking competition show where the three chefs, Kristen Kish, who's on the show today, Jeremy Ford and Justin Sutherland, have to perfectly recreate and then completely reimagine a celebrity's guest favorite fast food dish. Me being the celebrity, I chose the Cracker Barrel Pancake Breakfast, Mama's Pancake Breakfast. I won't tell you who won. You got to watch it tomorrow night. But coming up, you'll hear how Kristen imagined it. It tasted like the Cracker Barrel Pancake Breakfast. It didn't resemble it in any other way, though. It was crazy. Uh, Kristen tells us all about fast foodies and what uh, the show uh, appealed to her, why it appealed to her. She also talks extensively about her experiences on Top Chef. She was actually voted off the show, had to compete in the Second Chance Kitchen for another shot to get back on. It's a crazy story, her whole journey, including her audition. She's also talking about how she got into cooking as a kid, the first meal she tried to make, and how she found her own food point of view and developed her flavor. She is a true artist as a chef. She talks about dealing with fame and notoriety, some of her favorite celebrities that she's had a chance to meet, and why she now calls Emeril Lagasse Uncle Emeril. It's a great conversation about celebrity chefs. You're probably going to be starving by the time you finish listening, and that's why you got to watch Fast Foodies Thursday, February 3rd at 10 Eastern, 9 Central on True TV with me, Chris Jericho, Le Champion. Get it? Maybe Le Champion it might be better. Kristen Kish coming up, and so is Fozzie. Save the World Tour hitting the road again March 31st, starting in Detroit, Rock City, and crisscrossing the states with our new drummer Grant Brooks in tow. Our new record is coming out in April. It's called Boombox. Uh, more information on that coming out very, very soon, including the next single, which is called I Still Burn. There's a little bit of uh, inside information for you. So come see us play that and all the big songs, including Judas, available tickets at FozzyRock.com. And don't forget about our famous VIP meet and greet. We play a mini set for you. Five songs 
uh, some you won't hear later at the show. We meet you, we greet you, we hang out. Go to FozzyRock.com for all Fozzy VIP and ticket information. All right, here we go. Time for Celebrity Chef Kristen Kish from Fast Food. He's right here right now on Talk is Jericho. So one of the cool things about... uh being Chris Jericho, so to speak, is I get lots of different opportunities to do fun things. And one of the fun things that I just did was a show called Fast Foodies, which was on True TV. And basically, like typical me, I kind of look at it and see what it is, and it kind of looks fun, and then really have no idea what I'm doing when I get there. So I got to meet Kristen Kish, uh, who's one of the greatest chefs in the world today, and that's what I'm saying, so you can't change my opinion. And we just had a blast. Like it was the coolest show, but like what a interesting concept for this show. So kind of explain how you got involved with it and what you think of it. Cause, cause the idea is that we choose a form of fast food and then you guys kind of interpret it and we'll get into all that. But how did you get involved with fast foodies? Just like all great relationships starts. It's, it starts with like an email being like, Hey, are you interested in, this thing. Right. It's no secret that I have a love of like kind of junk food and fried food. <laughs> it's just my jam. And through the magic of Top Chef, what that did was it opened up and, and created this wide, wide, diverse family, which is fantastic. So Michael Rucker, the executive producer, worked on a season of Top Chef. My two other chef co-hosts, they're also from Top Chef. And I think just the world is very small in the production space. And so it all kind of started colliding together. I took my first Zoom call did the pilot and uh, that was that. But trust me, I was not concerned, but I'm like, also like, what's this show? Right. Like, what do you want us to do? Um, there's no rules. Like, how is this going to work out? But ultimately ended up being a really, really fantastic decision to do it. So what we did was, was you choose, like I said, a, a, your favorite fast food and you, and you do your pre pre-production interview and give the guys a few ideas here and there. And so we, for us, we decided to do like pancakes. It was like uh, Cracker Barrel pancakes and kind of the little breakfast that's around it. So I thought that I would show up and then eat some of that. And then you guys would try and create your version of it. And that would kind of be it. But there's a, so, so, so we eat actual pancakes. Then you guys make your version of the pancakes. And then you kind of create something completely different that's influenced right. by the pancakes. And that's where I just blew my mind how you guys were able to do all that. The only rule on the show, and tr- quite frankly, as you probably could tell by the eight, 10 hours that you spent with us, the only rule is that we just need to truly try to replicate the first dish that you bring us. And in this case, it was the Cracker Barrel pancakes and breakfast and sausage and everything that went along with it. And then from there, I mean, the producers know they can't tell three very different chefs with three very different points of views, how to cook anything. So again, the only rule, just try to nail this one. And then from there, do whatever feels good. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting. And, and we'll discuss all this, but there, there's so much. I think I, we, we spoke about this because you and I got along really well, like Justin and Jeremy, there's three chefs, but I almost felt like if this was like the voice or something, you would have been my mentor. but but there's so much artistry in being a chef Mm -hmm. anytime you create something out of nothing i consider that to be art and whether that's painting a picture or whether it's performing a dance or a wrestling match or uh, making a dish 
it's pure art. So you then took like, for example, this pancake idea and then created this completely other amazing five-star meal out of it. Mm -hmm. So how did you create this? Because what exactly did you you explain what you made? So it was pancakes, sausage, and eggs. This is what we're dealing with here, which then you turned into. So we also can't forget the apples because. Oh, the apples, right. The fried apples. Yeah. The fried apples. So what I did is when I think pancake. So uh, let me back up a little bit. So every, every chef has their, their own point of view, their, their own message that they want to tell through their food. Um, similar to you being Chris Jericho in a wrestling ring and then Chris Jericho at home. So there is this parallel that's happening, but they are two kind of, I don't want to say different versions, but the way I think at home is very different how I think in my kitchen. You operate differently. So it's this parallel road that runs together that ultimately creates this amazing duality of who we are as a person. Mm -hmm. I developed my cooking style and I like whimsical. I like playful um, and I love pasta making. So for your dish, when I thought pancake, it went from pancake to then in my head flat, which then went into my head as pasta, which then went into my head as one big sheet of pasta, which then turned into, okay, now let's start to layer in the sausage flavors. So instead of using sausage, I'm going to use all the fresh herbs the fresh version of the herbs that you find in sausage, which are typically dry, throw those into the pasta, make a beautiful sheet, create this pancake looking experience. And then (laughs) the greatest thing for me with pasta, I love carbonaras and egg sauces. So I was like, okay, well, let's confit an egg yolk in some of those dried sausage spices and then make this beautiful round calvados, which is an apple brandy cream sauce with shallots and thyme. So I know it sounds... For me, it was a very straight line on how to get there, even though it probably sounds like a very windy road. <laughs> but once again, because that's the way that you interpret these sort of dishes. When I think of, of like his fast foodies and there's three chefs and, and I'm still thinking it's going to be three people in white professor out cloaks and then the big long white chef's hat. <laughs> but you go in there and like, like you were wearing what you're wearing right now, like kind of a hat on backwards. There was kind of got tattoos and they're all looking cool. And I was like, this is like chefs are like rock stars here <laughs> in, in this realm. Yeah, we definitely took on, and I don't know what happened. I think it's the, the medium of TV that all of a sudden you threw chefs, which are typically hidden and inside and, you know, back into a kitchen and you throw them on TV and realize that most chefs have a personality and most chefs want to share that love of food with as many people as you can. So even if I can't cook for everyone or they can't come to my restaurant, at least I get to showcase what I can do via television, which ultimately was like this massive change where we are now exposed to so many different kinds of chefs and not just the ones that were meant to be placed in front of us to represent all chefs. Right, right. Talk a little bit more about fast foodies. When, when um, I, I kind of went through the list of previous you know, guests and one of my original ideas, I love a good burger and fries, and I'm seeing that you had James Vanderbeek, burger and fries from In-N-Out Burger, which you won. Yeah. So I want to know, what did you create from the In-N-Out Burger when you had to make your own dish? Coincidentally, pasta. And I don't make pasta every, every <laughs> I make it maybe two times a season. And so with James, he gave us the In-N-Out Burger and fries, but he also is trying to eat a little bit more healthfully. Mm -hmm. So not a lot of dairy. And we always eat so much of like the meat burger right at the top. So we're eating ground beef. 
So the last thing I want to do is add more meat onto the next round. So for me, I like to scale it back, take out the main protein, but somehow incorporate the flavors. And so for him, I did an extruded pasta version, which is the opposite of what I did for you, which is a rolled egg pasta dough. So extruded homemade spaghetti with a vegan, of all things, vegan cream sauce with like all these dehydrated roasted mushrooms with herbs and pickled onions and tomato powder. And then I got the beef flavor just by using a little bit of beef fat. So no actual of the meat product, toasted up some breadcrumbs, made that all crunchy and crumbly over the top. So it ate like a burger. It tasted like a burger, but it was take out the beef crumbs and you had a vegan dish. (laughs) How, How much time do you have to come up with these ideas for the show? So typically... We like to have them probably five days out because as you can imagine, you're, you're one of our 12 guests. So we're being pummeled with all these different things and we're trying to come up with these ideas. And then once you come up with the idea, you have to send over your ingredient list that you need culinary to go find and source for you. So it takes time and there are a lot of moving pieces. So I'd say five days, but on average, we probably get them two and a half to three days out. And it was so cool too, because like another thing I really enjoyed, like we, like I said on the show, you feel like a five-year-old kid who's kind of, you know, in the kitchen with with your mom or your grandma. It's like, well, you, you're allowed to stir the the soup, Chris. So like, you know, I'm trying to help you guys. And then like, you made this amazing kind of flat pasta sheet. And then you put little decorations in it, like little parsley decorations in it. Like, mm-hmm. Who would think of stuff like that? Like most people just eat the food and move on to the next thing. But you guys are like really making this amazing. Well, you know, ultimately we we get a lot of joy just as I'm sure you can relate. Like your joy comes from performing for an audience. Like you, you like to have an audience. If we're making food for nobody, then it doesn't mean anything. And especially you add another layer on to having someone like you come in and you're literally there with us and we can see who we're cooking for. Then there's another layer of like, I want to try more and harder. Ah. So you have a couple of different aspects. You have the restaurant aspect where, you know, yes, you want to create this great food. You know, it needs to be consistent for all of your guests. You know, they're paying for it. You as a guest on our show is bringing us something that you love. So we have this innate hospitality gene, I think it is. And so when you're looking at us and you're like, I love this dish and we're like, damn, I need to like do the best I can for him. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Well, let's talk about how you kind of got into all this. This is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on as well. I know what we were doing with Fast Foodies. I don't really know the whole concept of top chef and how you actually won which is huge it's like winning american idol or winning the voice or or, or america's got talent in the culinary world shall we say Mm -hmm. how did you get involved into becoming one of the literal top chefs in america my journey kind of started at five. I, I, wa- I was watching the show. It was called Great Chefs of the World on Discovery Channel. <laughs> the way I learn, I'm a visual learner. So if I can see someone create something, 
whether it be pottery or woodworking or how to throw a punch, I could do it. Maybe not well, but I can do it because I've, I've watched the motions enough times. And so at five, I started watching the show and I learned, I started learning the motions of cooking and what it meant to like hold a knife and to stir a pot, the sounds of a kitchen, what it meant for stainless steel to hit a stainless steel pan and the, the noise that it brings mm. and the cadence and the rhythm. And so it was always an interest. And then it wasn't until much later on where I actually started cooking. Um, developing flavor and a, a food point of view is very difficult and it takes a lot of time. And so after high school, I was always an okay student. I excelled in arts and music and failed basically math and history and all that stuff. After high school, I started going to school for international business and economics. My first year of college, I was miserable. I was also handling like all my personal issues as a kid trying to figure out who they are and what they wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And so after my first year, my mom was like, you know what, you're really not happy. It's going into like the world of like super depressed. And so she was like, well, you love cooking. Let's get you out of Michigan. Let's send you to Chicago. You can live your big city dreams, be a big girl and go to culinary school. And I was like, great. So I did. And I ultimately completed just a two-year program, not without its struggles for sure, which long story short, I, I had a very rough patch of my life where my insecurity and my social anxiety and my self-worth was being challenged internally. And so I lent heavily on alcohol and drugs. And so got out of that mess because it was not good. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, moved back home for four months. And then my mom and dad gave me another choice. And they said, you get one more chance. Where do you want to go? Don't mess it up, basically. And I was like, oh, my God. So then I moved to Boston. Um, long story short, found my mentor. She's the one who was like, Kristen, you need to go on Top Chef. I think you can do really well. She threw me on TV. I was like, this is a horrible idea. I don't want to do this. But she was like, you're, you're going to go do it. And I was like, shit, okay. So I went and did it and I ultimately won, which is the best outcome that you could hope for. <laughs> well, you just you just had about an hour's worth of stories in, in 30 <laughs> seconds there. <laughs> but, but, but going back a bit, so when you were a kid, you remember watching this, this show. Did you cook when you were like a little kid, five, seven, 10 years old? And what did you cook? I cooked. So I went through the motions, but like tasting food and using what was ever in the refrigerator. I remember the first thing I would do is I would cut all the vegetables in the house because I loved that idea of rocking the knife and like <laughs> chopping and going all fast like they did on TV. And so every vegetable in our house ended up getting chopped up, nothing like sawdust. And I remember the first thing I ever cooked for my parents was probably before the age of 10. And I took a chicken breast and again, I'm only using what's in the house. So chicken breast, pounded it out. I made like a couscous, like grain filling, rolled it, seared it and whatever. It didn't taste good. I'm not going to lie. I didn't know how to use salt, but that was the first memory of an edible product. This is like the equivalent of like a guitar prodigy playing eruption by Van Halen at 10 years old and saying, well, I got some notes wrong. At 10 years old, to me, a big meal was getting a bowl of cereal and maybe if you could figure out how the toaster worked, <laughs> get some peanut butter toast as well. So you're actually right from the start creating all of this stuff. It was kind of what you were meant to do. I think so. And back then, and I say back then as if like this was like <laughs> centuries ago. No, back then, I'm, I'm 37. So back then when I was a kid, I guess I never understood that cooking could be a career because it wasn't completely out there yet on television. Food Network 
was just starting to get its feet going. And even then it was geared towards the home cook. Mm -hmm. And so I never realized that that could be my job. And thankfully, my mother being the smartest woman out there was like, "Ah, actually, it can and you can go to culinary school and this is an option for you. You know, it's interesting. I think I told you this before as well, that that a uh, friend of mine who actually has been on Talk is Jericho before, Shep Gordon, who is the manager for Alice Cooper, among many other people. He actually started the uh, – he was Emerald's manager. He was Wolfgang Puck's manager. And he's the guy who said the same thing what your mom said. You guys are rock stars. We need to make this into a thing. And was one of the pioneers of starting the whole – superstar chef movement yeah so it is kind of cool like you said because 20 years ago even 25 years ago it was not the case a chef was just the guy in the back of the you know of the restaurant that might come out if you enjoyed his dish not a tv star right you know i think food became this platform for a lot of people that never really understood that they also had a voice as well once it started giving the average like top chef the average like working chef whose salary is shit who never sees their family, who never gets to go on vacation. As soon as those opportunities came where they allowed us to go on TV to showcase our qualities as a chef, not yet a personality, I think that was a huge opportunity because it was just taking everyday chefs in their businesses, putting them on TV and seeing what they could do. And I think that's appealing for the viewer as well. It's like, here's this random person from that neighborhood restaurant that you like down the street and all of a sudden now they're on tv and you get to watch them cook and you get to know more about their story i always feel that food with a story always tastes better when you get to know a chef you really understand their food and then now that the world has kind of opened their eyes to what different forms of chefs look like that opens it up for i mean i'm a huge advocate for women in the kitchen and women head chefs because it's we are underplayed and downplayed a lot Mm -hmm. because we are certainly the minority in the industry. Being able to see people of all different colors, shapes, sizes, races, genders, all of it. They're just telling their story through food, I think is a really beautiful thing to be sitting in right now. It's interesting too, because um, when I was doing Dancing with the Stars, was right next door to American Idol. And one of the contestants at the time was was a dude called James Durbin, who had like, I'm not going to say he had um, autism, or Asperger's, but it it was a combination of that. And singing was his way to, like you kind of mentioned, get out of this shell, this nervous shell. And now he's the frontman of, you know, rock bands. He's got his own album. He's a worldwide guy, but Idol helped him become who he is. seems like Top Chef and being a chef and cooking helped you, like you mentioned, come out of your darkness into becoming the Kristen that we're talking to now. Yeah, you know, I think we all have these characteristics. I certainly have a lot of, you know, all the things that I tried to like fix through therapy of myself. I realized that I, I don't need to change all of those things. I need to just channel them into a healthier direction, right? And so instead of choosing to disguise or try to get rid of the insecurities and the anxieties and all that stuff, I just need to look at it in a different way and push it down a different aisle because the hardest thing is realizing especially as a kid, when you realize, oh my God, I'm not perfect. Mm -hmm. What am I going to do? How am I going to live my life? How am I going to fit into this world? You know, it's a lot better now because we have so many young people, you know, standing up and advocating for mental health and everything. But when I was a kid, it wasn't as talked about. For me, it was about how to manage and coexist with the 
neuroses of who I am. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then once you figure out how to do that, you're like, great. And so cooking was like this thing that I could just throw it all into. I mean, hard pressed to say life changing, but it was certainly life altering in a very, very big way. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So let's talk about Top Chef. And you mentioned that you got on the show is this something that you have to audition for? Is it like American Idol where there's a thousand people outside of, you know, the Boston <laughs> stadium waiting to come in to, to like, how does that all work? How do you get on the uh, considered to even get on the show? So there's a lot of different routes. Most people will send in a, like an audition tape. They, they hold castings. People will go in person. They'll send stuff via the computer. But for me, because my mentor is a very prominent chef. Who is it? Her name is Barbara Lynch. She owns eight restaurants in Boston and the one of the only grand chefs, Relais Chateau grand chefs in the world. And so I was working at one of her restaurants and she had gone on the season before as like the guest celebrity chef for their finale. And so when she came back from filming that, they're already asking like, hey, do you have any women that would be really good on the show? And so she put my name forth with a couple others things started happening and rolling. And Chris, let me tell you, I am the, I was the person to go in front of 10 people and try to hold a knife and to cook and to talk and be charming. <laughs> and my anxieties would get the best of me and my hands would shake. And I remember trying to butcher a chicken and my hand shook so much that I like nicked my knuckle and it started bleeding. And I was like, oh my God. And then this is the girl that she wants to throw on national television to say, cook in front of all these people and be ju- and be judged. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think it was the right timing. I think it was the right support from her. And her believing in me ultimately allowed me the space to learn how to believe in myself. Did you have to cook a certain dish to, to finally get accepted? Or So the, she put me in. I had a couple phone calls, um, sent a couple sample menus, pictures of my food. From there, I went and cooked for Emerald to buy for a spot to get into the actual season, which was in Seattle. That season was a little bit different where they had like these like on air as like the first episode, like auditions that they aired. Yeah. And then I moved to Seattle for six weeks and competed. So what did you have to cook for Emerald and how nervous were you? <laughs> <laughs> well, watching Emerald as a kid, like I, I still look up to him. I call him Uncle Emerald. <laughs> he has been such a wonderful supporter and advocate for me, which is absolutely lovely. When I first met him, the challenge was there were five of us. We had to make a soup. It was just make any soup. And I was like, wait, what is going on? We're making a soup. This is crazy. I'm in Vegas at his restaurant. Holy shit. And so I made a English pea soup with poached lemon, seared sea scallops, I think some like green apple something or another. And all I remember is him saying that it's one of the best soups he's had in a long time. Oh, wow. And then there I went off to Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> so what, how does it kind of work? So uh, over, the, over the course of the weeks, what kind of challenges do you have and what do you have to do on the show to continue to go to the next round? So every... 
episode is a quick fire where you have to make something in 30 minutes. It's a quick thing. You get an advantage going into the what they call the elimination round. When you go to the elimination round, it's a larger challenge. There's more people to cook for. And ultimately, that's where a winner happens. And then someone gets kicked off every week. And so everything from, I mean, we were in Seattle, so we leaned heavily on the Pacific Northwest as inspiration, as you know, like different advertisers, like we had to do a Reynolds wrap challenge. Um, <laughs> we had to cook on a farm, this beautiful farm that serviced so many parts of the area's restaurants with berries and fruit. So we had to do a fruit challenge. So it all depends on who and where we are. And that dictates the direction that they want to go. So for you, there was a point in time when you actually got kicked off the show. Yeah. <laughs> what was it that got you out? And then what was it that got you back in? So what happened is I was, I was doing really well. I was winning individual episodes. And there's a point in a season, every season, where they have something called restaurant wars. And that's basically where the teams, the remaining contestants are split into teams. They basically make a pop-up restaurant in a short amount of time. One of the hardest challenges that you ever do. And why is it hard? You're creating a restaurant from the ground up in less than 48 hours. Oh, wow. And you're doing it with four people, four chefs. So you have to delegate and make a smart menu. You have to make someone be front of the house. It's just hard. <laughs> <laughs> that episode, I was doing really well. The episode before that, I had won. So that meant I got to choose a concept and be the executive chef for my team. I made a menu. It was very ambitious. It lived primarily only in my head. What it came down to is, depending on who you ask, if you ask people that are fans of me, they will tell you I made no mistakes. <laughs> but I'm here to tell you that I did. And my mistake was I wasn't able to properly lead in an assertive way. And so what happened is that another chef who was in charge of making one of my other dishes was lacking time management skills. And so didn't actually really fully complete the dish. Oh. And so then we stood up in front of the judges and it was like this long conversation of like, well, what happened? And she's telling the judges that I messed up. There's one thing my parents have taught me. It's yes, you need to stand up and, and stand in your convictions, but you also don't need to blame anyone else for your mistakes. Had I done perfect, I would have said so. I would have not taken the blame for it. But there are aspects that I did not do perfectly. And I understand that. And so I didn't say anything as she's telling everyone that I messed up and it was my fault. I just stood there and I was like, it wasn't going to end well because I was going to start <laughs> yelling and start blaming. And I'm just like, I'm also on national television. I was like, my mom raised me better. Right? Right. Don't get up there and fight. Just this is what it's going to be. And so I was like, great. So I left and I got kicked off. And then through this digital competition called Last Chance Kitchen, I beat six or seven people, I think. And then to make it back onto the original show, then to vie for a spot in the finale. So how many weeks was that when you got kicked off? God, it was five weeks. Five weeks, right. So, so you get used to it pretty after a couple of weeks, like once again, Dance to the Stars. I think I was off after seven weeks, maybe. And you got to be really careful because they're waiting. I remember one time, actually it was the week that I got that I got eliminated and I kind of knew it was going to happen just the way that they were kind of slanting the conversations and the edits of the, of the packages and stuff. There was one point, like you rehearsed for like, I don't know, eight hours a day for six days. And that one moment I went, I just can't get this. Ah, they showed that over and over. I said, that was one time out of 40 hours of rehearsal. Yeah. But that's what they do. And you've got to be careful. Like you said, when someone's going to throw you under the bus, if you lash out or do anything it's like this is going to live on forever as like 
when Kristen lost her mind, it's got to be like, yeah, mm-hmm. I think a lot of, a lot of the chefs going on there, they didn't, they wouldn't care. I was also trying to determine who I wanted to be in the person that I wanted to be the old me one that would have, you know, a month prior probably lashed out and said something stupid. I learned one too many times that that doesn't work. Yeah. And it's also not the person that I would care to be. And it's not the person I want to grow into being. So I was like, you know what? Just it's all good. Ultimately, this is six weeks of my life. It happens to be on television, but this is not my entire life. What happens when I go home? It's like you got to weigh which direction you want to go. So you said there was last chance kitchen. Mm-hmm. So once you get eliminated, you still have a chance to make your way back to the show. So I was the first season. So I was season 10. They just filmed season 18. Um, so I was season 10 and it was the first time that they started this last chance kitchen thing to give people a second chance to try to make it back on. Now, it doesn't mean if you win last chance kitchen, you're going to win the whole thing. It means that you can get back on the show to try to like get thrown back into the competition to see if you can kind of keep going further. So I just happened to do well during Last Chance Kitchen because you're just doing one-on-one head-to-head battles. One dish, one judge, make something good, and you have zero time to overthink it. And so I excelled in that aspect. And then by the time I made it back on, I had already learned so much about what it meant to cook smart and what it meant to cook on this show. And so I took all those things that I had learned and why I got kicked off, put him into the last few episodes and just said, get whatever's going to happen is going to happen. This is a fantastic opportunity. Here I am. So I surrender the rest <laughs> right, right, right. and just let it be. So I think not putting so much pressure on myself really helped me. And how did you win those challenges? Same thing as before. Like you just had to cook a dish that, that wins out of these other people in the last chance kitchen. Yeah. So we basically every eliminated chef has to stay in Seattle. Once they have like four eliminated people, they put them head to head, they find one person or whatever. And then every person that gets eliminated has to beat that last standing person. And if you beat them, you kick them out and then you're the last person standing. And then every person that gets eliminated has to go against you. So how did you end up winning the whole thing? So my finale was probably the only time they'll they'll do the structure in which they did. It was fine, but it was also not without its flaws. Myself and Brooke Williamson, we were competing against each other for the title. We had to cook a five-course meal, and it's like head-to-head judging. So it's like we had our first course that was going head-to-head. And it was like, who wins? Okay, Kristen, Brooke, whatever. So the first person to win out of five courses, the best out of five, basically took home the title. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we did it. They're never going to do that again. Because once you're when you're when you're on minute like fifty six of a one hour show, there's not enough time to play out another course. So you can only assume that you could figure out who won. Basically, the longest field goal ever attempted is seventy six yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also seventy six yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So when you win Top Chef, I mean, obviously there's a huge fan base for this. Does that catapult you into the next level of... Superstar chef status. 
So the way I look at it is Top Chef is very much driven off of character and personality of who these people are. And so whether you win or not, it ultimately doesn't really matter. It does from the opportunity aspect, because all of a sudden, you, yes, you are thrust into magazine articles and you get to have features and all this stuff that just kind of hits all at one time. But not all winners go on to wanting or doing the most public things. And not all people that were eliminated in the middle of the season go off to disappear. So it really all depends on who you are and I guess what you do with the opportunity, whether you win or you don't. Because that would seem like, once again, just kind of going back with, to with Dance of the Stars, like there was probably the biggest fan base of middle-aged housewives I've ever had in my life. Like you could tell that's the people that watch this show. And you're in People Magazine and In Touch and you're on Ellen and Rachel Ray. And I'm, I'm sure it was the same for you because that's the, the segment that reads all of those supermarket magazines and the daytime talk shows. And did you go kind of do all those rounds? Oh yeah, they put you through the press junket. They like throw you into everything. At a certain point, I realized. Well, you have to remember too. Like we aren't you going on Dancing with the Stars. You you are already you, the famous wrestler. Right. We go on being virtually nobody, except for in our communities of the chef world and restaurant world. But we go on, and then all of a sudden you get off, and all of a sudden there's like people that know who you are. And that are like interested in what you're doing. And I'm like, Oh my God, what is going on? Like, this is crazy. And so I tried to do it alone for a little bit of time, but then realized obviously a manager would help to filter all the requests. But I mean, the amount of asks and requests and job offers and opportunities that you get, it's, it can be overwhelming for someone that's never had that before. Mm -hmm. I worked six days a week. I woke up, I went to work and I went home. That's just what I did. And on the weekends or on the, my weekends, I would go have dinner somewhere with friends. And that was my life. And it just went yeah. tipped upside down. And I was like, oh my God, what's going on? But once I got a, a handle on how to operate under this new context of what my life is and realizing that all I had to do was still just be myself, everything just evened out. Well, cause you got a great personality and, it, and it's interesting. Obviously you said when you first started out, you were a little bit you know, anxious and all that sort of thing. There must've been a time when you're like, you just said, if I just be myself and just continue to mm -hmm. react the way that I would react, that's kind of my personality. And that's kind of my persona on camera. Well, what's interesting is that I, when I tell people I, my social anxiety is, does not go away. It's always a part of me. And if I'm around large groups of people that I don't know, I get really anxious and I kind of like, go internal. Mm -hmm. Some people are like, well, why isn't she talking? Like, well, no, it's not because I'm being a bitch. It's because I'm actually like really anxious right now. And I need a second. I don't know. I, I think now that I started talking about my social anxiety, now I'm like hyper-focusing on all my moments. <laughs> <laughs> now you're anxious. <laughs> I'm like, what did I do? No, I think once I recognized that the only story and the only thing that hasn't been told and the only thing that I can sit confidently in is me. That's it. Take the good with the bad. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not perfect at all. And I make mistakes and I question things that I've done. And I'm like, oh my God, like, was that the right business? Like all this stuff, right? Everything is normal. And the more I talk about it, the more real it is because everyone goes through that. You're kind of like, okay, well, we're all very similar in that sense. I mean, when Top Chef ended, where did you go for that? Did you start your own restaurant? Because I know there's a lot of other TV shows that you've done as well, too, that we can discuss. Mm -hmm. But kind of what happened when you finished with that? So after Top Chef, 
because it doesn't air right after. So I knew I, well, I didn't know that I had won for a long time because there was this hiatus that we took before filming the finale, which again is an old way that they used to do it. And then after I won, I had to keep a secret for a month that I had won. So not until it airs and everyone catches up on the season, you're like, okay, here it is. And so what I promised myself was that I said, I'm going to stay where I am for at least three months because I don't want to open up a restaurant and have this like burst of fanfare. And then it just like goes away. I need to solidify myself as me. And I was still figuring out who I was and what kind of chef I wanted to be anyways. But working for Barbara, I stayed at the the restaurant that I was working at during the season. She promoted me to run another one of her restaurants. And then I went there for a year. And then after that, I learned so much about the kitchens that I wanted to be a part of, the ones I didn't, what I liked and what I didn't like and what kind of leader I wanted to be. And so I ultimately left. And then I started, I was out of kitchens, restaurant kitchens in a traditional way for, I don't know, four years or so. Hmm. And I was doing other TV, I was running around all the world, like doing pop-ups, not fully planting my roots. Cause I was like, I'm taking this opportunity to travel and see the world and to experience things because all of my career, I never had that opportunity to do that. I didn't have the time and I didn't have the money. And now I have time and money so I can go travel and I can cook and meet so many cool people and learn basically just like throw myself into like a traveling learning whirlwind. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. We'll talk about 36 hours because that kind of fits what, what you just were saying. You were traveling around and experiencing the different culinary delights of the cities that you were in just for a short period of time. Is that kind of what that show was? Yeah. So 36 hours is based off of the New York Times article. And they would every Sunday, I guess, in the travel section, 36 hours, what to do in Berlin. And it was like where to go, what to see, what to eat, what to do. Mm-hmm. And so they basically, Travel Channel took that concept they found me and Kyle Martino, who is a former U.S. soccer player, and threw us out on the road. And we explored. He came at it with an adventure traveler sense. And I came at it from the food point of view. Uh, but ultimately, we just went and we had a great time and lived out these articles. It was my first like hosting TV kind of thing, which was a really interesting space for me. Right. I look back on that show and I, I think it was an incredible opportunity Parts of me also cringes when I watch myself on that because I'm like, God, that's just like, I'm trying to be so perfect, even from like the shirts that I'm wearing. I'm like, I've never worn, with the exception of maybe my wedding, a silk blouse. (laughs) And here I am wearing a silk blouse, like trying to like eat fried chicken, but not take too big of a bite because I have to talk about it still. I think it was an incredible learning experience, opportunity to see the world, parlay me somewhat into a television role outside of being a competing chef. So it did what it was supposed to do. I love it. I wish I could go back and do it again because I think I would do it much better. Mm-hmm. But I think we all look back on our past things and we're like, damn, I could have done that so much better. But probably no one's picking it apart the way that I'm picking it apart when I watch. So what were some of the highlights of some of the places that you went to from, from that? Oh my God. So Berlin, 
Berlin is probably one of the places where I was like, I would have never taken myself to go there on my own. And then I get to do it on TV where everything's set up for you and you just get to just ride the wave. And it was the most culturally diverse, interesting pattern of people that just like all were cohesively living as one. And it was so beautiful and I loved it. Hmm. Everyone from like cyclists that we would get a tour around the city to sitting at an intimate dinner party with all these nightlife people and like sex toy shop owners. And we're all (laughs) having this conversation. We're all talking about the same things, but just from so many different points of views. And ultimately we're all kind of still landing in this like center apex of shared experience and like-minded thinking. And it was so cool. And I think that was moments where I sat in gratitude a hundred percent. My other favorite memory is in Istanbul. There's this tattoo artist, a woman, which is very rare in Istanbul. And I found her on Instagram while I was sitting in my hotel in Berlin, Berlin, as we're finishing out that episode to go to Istanbul. And I said, I got to get a tattoo. I was like, so I was texting the production manager and I said, is there a carve out of time where I can schedule to go get a tattoo? And they're like, great. They came back to me. They're like, would you do it on for the episode? And I was like, yes. <laughs> so I was like, I don't want to know what she made. I'm going to show up. I walk up to her apartment. She's there with her partner and some dogs running around. And I sat in the window and I got this tattoo and the call to prayer was happening outside the window. Oh. It was just one of those moments where you're like, how is my life this <laughs> you're like wow what did i whatever i did in my life i must have done something right to have this opportunity did you ever have to eat any types of foods that you weren't uh you know too keen on sure yeah definitely one of my the thing that i don't like the most my least favorite food in the world is lamb oh out of all of the things that you could possibly think of lamb is one of those things that i'd like it's a no-go and so we're having lunch in istanbul and we we're with a local chef and poached lamb brain came out. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, I hate lamb. If it was any other brain, I'd be like, game, let's try it. <laughs> but because it was lamb brain, I was like, oh, I don't know. It had nothing to do with the fact that it was a brain. Of course, I'm going to try it. And it tasted nothing like lamb. It had the texture of this really beautiful pate. Oh my God. That you just like spread on bread and you ate it. And if you could get past what it was, because I think so much is like this psychological thing of foods that maybe we're not used to, but the rest of the world over there, it's normal. I was like, fuck it, let's try it. It wasn't bad at all. <laughs> L- Lamb is very popular over in that part of the world too. Like even when you go to Europe or the UK, there's so many, I can't remember what it's called. It's almost like a fast food lamb where they have the big lamb and they take chunks of uh, donairs maybe or something like that. Donor, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but they're everywhere over there. And it's not, it's, like you said here, you're thinking of sweet little lambs and you're like, no, no. <laughs> it's the flavor for me. I don't know. It's lamb and smoked salmon. I can't eat them. Oh, wow. I will always try it. If a new chef, if a chef that I don't know cooks it for me, I will always try it. Mm-hmm. But it's very rare that I'm like, oh, you just changed my mind. And they're like, I promise you, I can change your mind. I was like, no, 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 you can't. Let me tell you. (laughs) I think it's only happened once or twice where I was like, I think I could eat this. Have you spent any time in Asia at all with the the kind of the foods there? So I was adopted. So I, I was born in Seoul, South Korea. I was adopted at four months. I was raised in Michigan by Caucasian family in the suburbs of Michigan. And so for me, traveling to Asia has always been this, not point of contention, but this 
polarizing thing in my brain that I battle with. Mm -hmm. And so I've never been back to Korea, mostly because I think it's fear is associated with the expectation of what I may or may not find. Um, and so in order to manage that expectation, I just don't go. Mm. And so for a long time, I felt really guilty traveling to any part of Asia um, until I actually went to South Korea. And so at a certain point, I had to let that go because I kept getting offers to go travel to Asia and to, to cook. And so I've done not as much as Europe and even other parts of the world, because again, there's this like weird battle that I have. Mm -hmm. um, but I've spent a little bit of time, I think, you know, Singapore and um, Hong Kong, I think are two really fantastic places that I've been. I flew through the airport of Seoul and I almost had a heart attack. Oh, wow. Um, just because like, yeah, I got you. I hype myself up about it. Yeah, right. No, and, and I'm like screwing with my own head, which I fully am aware of. Um, if there's one thing that I got really good at, it's being my own therapist. And so anytime I'm triggered by something, I like, I like to take a second and I like to kind of fish for why it's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, and so fully aware of all the weird things going on in my brain. Um, but yeah, I think I will go, I'll go and I will travel more of Asia. Oh, Thailand and Cambodia also fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I kind of, I circle around. It is so weird though. Like you said, like, like for people that haven't traveled, I've been to Japan, I think almost 60 times at this point, Wow, just what they eat there compared to what we eat here, you know? And like you said, like you can go eat lamb and it's like, what's the big deal? Are you eat you know, a, a squid where they just pull the damn thing out of tank and just, here's your, here's your food. Like, you know, it really is still moving. Or I remember once it was a lobster, pick your lobster, take it out of the tank, stick it on the grill when it's still alive. And like the steam is coming through and it makes a noise to it. It's like, it's, <laughs> it's not screaming. It's just the steam. It's screaming and it's looking right at me. I can't eat this thing. But that is something I find very interesting and in just how, different cultures treat food. Yeah. And I think too, like, you know, as, as a chef taking down a live lobster, eating it even raw, I've eaten it right out of the water and taking it apart and eating the raw lobster. Like it's like every other Thursday for me. <laughs> <laughs> the, be the beauty of food is it's such a connector to so many different people, cultures, experiences that really can take people on two opposite ends of the world and bring them together. And you're like, Oh, wow. This is cool. Like, here's the thing. Without food, our paths probably would have never crossed. Right. There was, there's no realistic way or reason for Chris Jericho, the wrestler, to cross paths with me, which is like such an interesting pairing. But again, food was the connector to us even having a conversation, which I think is the most beautiful thing about food. And I think it's cool that we get to do the things that we get to do. Last few questions for you. When you started getting more notoriety, was there some celebrities that you met that were fans of yours or watched the show that kind of blew your mind? I will never forget this one time. Oh my God. Charlize Theron. I was in a restaurant in Boston. I was sitting at the bar with my friends having a drink and she was having dinner. And I remember she asked the hostess to ask me if she could come say hello. And I was like, <laughs> do you know who you are? I had just won Top Chef. I'm quite frankly just the cook and she's like this a-list like movie star and you're just like oh my <laughs> god and so she came up she said hello and then she sent a round of drinks to me and my friends and then i sent her dessert wine to go with her last pairing and then that was it and it just kind of like 
parted ways and that was it. And I will never forget that moment because I think it was the first time where I was like, oh my God, did that just happen? Or was that like a dream or what the hell is going on? But I've been, again, very fortunate to meet so many awesome people like yourself. And just the way I try to look at it is that very rare do I allow myself to parlay into thinking, oh my God, this person's a huge celebrity. Mm -hmm. Because I actually, everyone's just a person. And so it also is self-preservation because if I'm like, oh my God, this person's a huge celebrity, then I'm going to go crazy and I will become a different person subconsciously. And it's just, no one wants that. So I do my best to just view everyone as just, they're this cool person who has excelled in their field Mm -hmm. and let's just, we'll keep it there. And that's always the great, like when you, once you can break down the barrier of, oh my God, it's so-and-so. And then you realize it's just, that's somebody that that's like you said, a cool person that has a really cool job you know? Yeah. When you go out to dinner, can you turn off Kristen, the chef and actually enjoy it? Or are you thinking, Oh, this needs some more spices or this wine isn't correct. Or this fork isn't the right one. Can you do that? Yes and no. So it never turns off and I will always form opinions in my brain. But again, I don't make it a point of the experience. So yes, by nature, I sit down in a restaurant and I look around. I'm watching how the staff moves. I'm, I'm watching how services being played out. If it's an open kitchen, I'm my eyes are glued to that kitchen, just watching <laughs> more out of curiosity and gratitude than anything else. Because being able to sit down and have a meal by someone else when this is what we do for our life, like it's so necessary. It's so necessary. Even just sitting in my own restaurant, eating and experiencing the old, my own thing that I'm doing you're able to look at food and restaurants in a different way. And so, yeah, so I guess it doesn't turn off because I know what I'm seeing. So unless it's really bad, Mm -hmm. like inedible bad, which very, very rarely happens, (laughs) I'm just happy that someone else is cooking, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned something earlier that that I wanted to touch on before we wrap up. You said um, you were talking about working in a kitchen and what makes, uh, you're talking about in a good kitchen. What makes a good kitchen? kitchen because i'm assuming it's teamwork for sure but what constitutes that you know so back in the day it was a lot of men running around and toxic environments to say the least i grew up in the middle part where it wasn't so so bad and i also was careful about where i chose to work and who i wanted to work for but certainly there's definitely unfortunately and still happening the headline people making headlines being complete assholes and allegations and whatever. And so I always vowed the second I'm going to have a restaurant and put my name on something that I sure as hell am going to do everything the opposite way that I feel was a disservice to me. And so for me, what I think is a great restaurant and a great kitchen, it's not necessarily always building it with the best cooks, but it's off of who you are as a person. Like, yes, you have to have the ability to cook, and you have to have, have maybe worked in one other restaurant. But I will give anyone a shot if they are eager, they want to be there. There's a positive drive. There's a positive attitude. Because when we have to spend all that time together, there's nothing worse than having toxic energy. Like who wants to be surrounded by that? And then you don't operate as a team. So if you can fill it with all like-minded, character-driven, positive people, you ultimately build a family. And then once that family is formed, you are united and stronger because everyone's working together. And so that for me is is the benchmarker for a great kitchen is when when the team is happy. 
And then how do you kind of, I'm assuming if it's your kitchen, then you're kind of creating the menu as well, right? Mm -hmm. Are these all dishes that you enjoy? Are you trying to think of a, of a perfect kind of well-rounded choices for everybody? Yeah. You, when you build a menu, you have to think about progression. You have to think about if someone orders this appetizer, but then they want this protein, do those items still go together? For me, I need a menu to make complete sense from top to bottom, regardless of what you order and how you order. Not everyone thinks that way. It's just how I like to approach it. You know, if you had dessert first at my restaurant and then you went to like the first course of like the salads, do they make sense on the palate? Oh, wow. Are they meant to eat, be eaten together? No. But is the flavor that lingers from dessert going to mess up? Oh, the, interesting. That's the way I think about it. And so there's there's two items that will always remain on my menu um, from opening, which is a pasta dish and then this rice, crispy rice with crab and bacon that I do. But from there, I let seasonality, the small farms that we like to support, my surroundings of the Texas produce and meats and the Gulf and the sea and whatever dictate how the menu comes together. And so I create all of my menus myself. And then now I have my chef de cuisine who's been with me since the start has done such an incredible job at learning how I think about food and adopting that same thing. So now I can trust him. Hmm. I trust him to create something to put it forward and to be like, great, I would have done the same thing. What is your all time specialty and what is a dish that you need to get better at? So my all-time specialty, that's pasta making. I love it. It's meditative. It's everything to me. I find calm in it. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's fun for me to produce in the midst of maybe a hectic kitchen. I think the things that I need to work on are the thing, all the things that I don't know. And I don't know a lot. So I know a lot about what I know, but I know nothing really about the rest of what's out there that I have yet to experience. And I think that's the joy of cooking and the ability to see and taste other people's perspectives and where they come from and who they are. It's why I love to go out to dinner. It's why I love to travel. It's why I love to put myself into new situations because ultimately I'm being inspired by something else. Very similar to fast foodies. I've never, never had someone say, hey, can you create this dish <laughs> that's inspired of pancakes, sausage, apples, and eggs? <laughs> and I'm like, hmm. No, but now what I did was I made that pasta dish and now I have a new dish under my belt. It's this like ever feeding incubator of creativity and inspiration. Well, it's awesome to hear uh, you describe your art and it was awesome to have your pancakes and apples and eggs and sausages. And uh, <laughs> most importantly, it was great to, to, to make a new friend, like you said, via food. Yeah, it's really fantastic. You you were such a joy to have on the show and to cook. And again, like we were saying, uh, unlikely pairing, but I, I'm very grateful to now know you. Me too. We'll eat some more uh, in the future for sure. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Kristen. Thank you. All right. Thanks to Kristen Kish for being here. And don't forget to check out Fast Foodies co-starring Le Champion Thursday, February 3rd. 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 Central on True TV. You can also watch that on Amazon Prime. You can watch it on the True TV app. Check it out. It's a lot of fun, and we will see you on Friday.